Okay, um, trying to put a little bit of brightness on a dull, dreary day. So, you know, Iris, I think, looks a little better than the current outside weather pattern, but we'll live with what we have. It hasn't frozen yet, although it is a frost warning for tonight. If you are... <coughs> Gardening right now, go harvest your stuff before it freezes tonight. It's supposed to be 31 tomorrow morning. Are you ready for that? No. Seems a little early. Oh well. Um, let's see what. Okay, we were talking about dealing with employees, holding them accountable, trying to make sure that we are not uh, exhibiting too many biases, trying to minimize those if at all possible. And we started out or we left off talking about the halo effect on Monday which is referencing a person who's done good work for you in the past and you make the assumption that they will continue to do that good work. That hopefully is a true assumption, but you really should not make it. You should only be looking at how they've been doing in the most recent period, whatever that time frame is that is under review. If an individual always agrees with you, you tend to not look at them as critically as somebody who argues with you a lot. When someone argues with you, you're going to try and figure out, well, why are they doing that? But if they never argue, then they are polishing their halo. If some one thing that they've done has just been fantastic, it outshines all the mediocrity that they've been doing over the last four or five months. <clears throat> you have to be careful to not let these biases creep in. The person who never complains who's always, you know, keeping track, making sure they do everything that you're asking of them, even if they only ever do things in a mediocre way, they polish their halo. Supervisors are very notorious in not seeing or not acknowledging blind spots. We all have weak points. Our challenge is holding others accountable for the things that we know are our weaknesses. Because if we never hold anyone accountable for those, we're only magnifying the weakness and not finding someone who has a strength in that area 
who can help the rest of us a lot. We need to be careful of the blind spot. Be careful of the person who talks an amazing story. And we've all met this person somewhere along our way who has a tremendous skill at spinning a yarn. Now, whether that's true or not, whether they really do a good job or not, it sounds like they do. And we have to be careful of that bias. We want to, each of you wants to try and polish this one as best you can. Having a degree from SDSU, specifically dairy and food science, within the dairy industry, within the food science, the food industry can give you a halo effect. I want to be a guardian of that, which is when we send you out from here, there's certain expectations from the department standpoint that we would like you to continue to meet. So no, no one, no one individual tarnishes everyone else's halo, which is the surface asset of a degree from this place. Horns. You're going to encounter the individual who had the job that you now are being placed into 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And they don't believe that there's any way possible anyone could ever do the job as well as they did it. Right? You have to be careful if you're the supervisor to have reasonable expectations. When someone's new at a position, there will be some miscues. You can't have that bar so high day one that it's impossible for anyone to get there. It's looking at being able to treat things equally as far as a bias. Be careful of the expectations that you, you set. That doesn't mean you should not have reasonable expectations but they need to grow as the person grows in the position, not be so high from the beginning that it doesn't work. Many of you probably in your lifetime have encountered an individual who stands out. Not necessarily in a, what everyone would perceive to be a positive way, they just stand out. Whether it's by the rainbow colored hair that changes every week, or what they choose to wear that's different than the rest of the folks around them, or whatever it is, they tend to stand out on their own. Can you hold that against them? if they're doing the job you ask them to be doing? No. Sometimes it's hard though. Hard to be 
unbiased, when there's that distinct, I mean, they're sometimes trying to stand out. Sometimes they're not, they just, they don't care what anybody thinks about anything and they just go along. But if they're doing the job you're asking to at meeting the expectations that you're setting for them, you can't hold the rest of their behavior against them as a horn. Every once in a while, somebody will do something that is just not good. That one recent incident, they didn't check the swing panel and they pump 100 gallons of CIP solution into the cheese vat. Well, that's a pretty big goof up. If it's a 70,000 pound milk equivalent vat, you just threw away somewhere around $10,000. Just like that. In the simple fact that you forgot to make sure the elbow was going in the right direction. If the rest of their review period has been meeting all the expectations you set forward. You have to work very hard not to hold that one incident against them. Now, if they've developed a pattern, if they do this every week, every week, every week, then probably you need to talk about it. But a one-off should not be the whole of the review. Self-comparison, that's hard. When you get promoted, which you want to do, you will see people now in a position where you once were. They're going to approach that task differently than you did. You want them to approach it differently than you did. Or your company doesn't mature and grow. Be careful not to introduce a bias that says, well, that's not the way I would have done it. That's okay, as long as it meets the overall expectations of the company. It doesn't have to be done exactly the way you, as the previous supervisor, would have done it. We get the person who just loves to argue. And you probably, most of you have met someone in your lifetime who just loves to argue. They just do. Does that mean they're doing a poor job? No. Does that mean they actually potentially are keeping you on your toes? It could be a good thing, right? It makes you think about what you're doing and keeps everything moving up. Just because they don't always agree with you does not mean that that should be a tarnish or set of horns on their review. So how do you eliminate a bias? Write it down. Every conversation you have needs to stick to 
the criteria that you're evaluating and it should be included in a personnel file. The conversations that you have, whether they're out on the production floor, in your office, wherever that conversation is held, stick to the facts, discuss the figures related to the performance and write it down. Because if you consistently write it down and have a file that you can refer to, that someone else can refer to, when it comes time for an evaluation, then everyone's okay. But how do you know what occurred in all those conversations over the last four or five months if you don't have a record of it? Your memory may be pretty good in relation to one or two sets of conversations, but if you have 30 employees, there's no way you can do it. So write it down. This is really, really, really hard to not do. That personnel file is in existence in perpetuity. From the time that individual starts with the company, they will have a personnel file. Your challenge is, in eliminating the biases, to not go back and read their reviews from two years ago or five years ago. Consider only what was going on during the time frame that you're considering. If you're considering a person for a raise or a promotion, that needs to be based on the criteria in the current window, not how they did five years ago. So make sure you have all that documentation, but don't consider the history part of it in the review. Keep talking, keep the communications open. Have clear expectations, outline goals, tell people why you're expecting certain things to be occurring. If everyone knows what's there, if they know the rules of the game, if they understand what's happening on the playing field, then they participate well. But if you were out playing a game and somebody decided to change the rules at halftime but didn't tell you, how would you feel? Would it go really well? No. Well, sometimes that's what companies do because from a corporate level, there was some trickle down. Change in policy. Well, if you don't communicate the policy, how do the players, the people you're reviewing, know what the new rules are? So the communication channel has to be maintained or you will introduce bias. So, you've tried to be as unbiased as you can. You've 
had open communications with your employees. Sometimes there will be times when you must discipline the employee. Some of these fairly cut and dried. Some are very much not as cut and dried as you think they would be. Sometimes you think rules interpretation should be just black and white. Not always true. The major infractions typically pretty simple. The individual shows up at work drunk and it's clearly written down in po company policy related to that issue, that's a major infraction. You don't allow them to come to work, you send them home, and depending on company policy, do they get one, two, three strikes? They're done. There's not usually a lot of wiggle room in that rule, right? As long as everybody knows that there's a rule. If it's not written down anywhere that you can't show up to the work drunk, then, then why can't I, right? But if it's written down in your company handbook, which it should be, then you can hold people to that infraction. Insubordination. What is insubordination? What is insubordination? In essence, it's a disrespect for the rules and the authority and the chain of command. When someone just flat out won't listen to their supervisor or their supervisor's supervisor and goes off and does things the way they want to anyway, they're being insubordinate. You've lost control. Can you allow your company to function with a loose cannon? Not really. It's not going to be good for anybody. So typically, that will be a major infraction. There's some written document, company policy says this is an issue. Fighting. In most company policies, if an individual is known to throw a punch and land a punch on somebody, that's not usually even a three strikes and you're out situation. It's a one strike and you're gone. You can't have employees beating up each other, right? Seems cut and dried. But if it's perhaps the shift supervisor who's getting in there trying to break up a scuffle between a couple other people who are pushing and shoving but not actually hitting, and that individual actually lands a punch, Based on the rule, they should be out. Should that be the final interpretation of the rule? 
Sometimes you have to look at the whole of the situation. Yeah, it was a, not a good way for that supervisor to try and resolve things. However, is that cause based on what led to it for their removal? Or do you end up with the two people who were scuffling plus the supervisor all gone? Can you afford to have three people from one work unit gone in a day? The policy says they're all done. But now what do we do? How do we function if we create that large of a whole? So as I say, it's not always as black and white as you would hope it to be. But fighting, pretty much straightforward. Swearing, this one used to be a lot more stringently enforced. I think it should still be. But every once in a while, someone just flat out loses it. I would much rather that they swore at the supervisor than they punch him, right? But it's still a violation of company policy. Stealing, <laughs> well, yeah. When you go out and you open the trunk lid and you see they've got three cases of product in there and there's no invoicing that says that it actually they paid for it, even if they've been with the company for 20 years, you need to let them go. Becomes an example for anybody else. And then, and this one is a little trickier. If I'm falsifying the numbers on the hourly report because I didn't want to go walk all the way up to the top of the dryer tower and read six gauges and actually put that down versus breaking in to the personnel files and exchanging out documents to change what was being said about you. In both cases, that's falsifying documents. Are they of equal? Or are they different? Company policy says anytime you're falsifying documents, it's a major infraction. That's one of your strikes. How are you going to treat it? You need to think about that, right? But you need to have a protocol in place that says what would happen if any of these things occur. Now we get to the fuzzier areas of interpretation. If somebody shows up two minutes late, they punch in two minutes late every single day. And all of the rest of their performance is fine. How do you approach that? But if they show up two minutes late every day, and then it becomes four minutes, and then it becomes six minutes and other employees are waiting for them before they can start the work on their shift, do you have to treat it differently? 
right? There's a policy that will say something about when work actually starts. But there's a little fuzziness in there as to how you interpret it. There shouldn't, I mean, some of us who like to be rule followers, if the rule makes sense, would say, nope, it's 8.02, they're late. How much of an impact was that? We need to figure out how we're going to treat it. AWOL, absent without leave. When you're not there and you didn't ask permission to not be there. That comes from the United States military. It was a term. Somebody left base, they're considered AWOL. When you report in, okay. Right now, we've got a challenge here on campus. You could just not show up for class, and if I was taking attendance and counting that as points, that would be one thing. But if you're not showing up for class because you've been isolated or quarantined because you were supposed to be, but you didn't tell me, well, now what do I do? But if you told me, now you have, I know that you're not gonna be here, right? So I got three ways I can look at that. You're just not here. You're not here because somebody else told you to not be here, but you didn't tell me about it, or you told me about it. Same thing's gonna be true if you're the employer. If the CDC calls and says this employee is not to report to work, and the employee pays attention to the CDC, but they don't call you, what do you do? Right? How do you treat that situation? Because somewhere in your company policy, somewhere in your manual of how you're going to uniformly apply the rules that you have, you need to think about that. And a lot of companies are modifying employee handbooks right now, remote work or changing times that shifts begin to accommodate for some of this. But if you didn't change any of the policy, how do you hold someone accountable to it? Abuse of break times, you know, if you're supposed to get a 15 minute break, it's a 15 minute break, it's not a 22 minute break. If your supervisor gave everybody the extra five minutes, then okay. But if one person didn't come back when the rest of the people did, that's different. Is it a life or death situation? No. Does it need to be addressed? Yes. And how we're gonna address it is gonna be one of our challenges. This becomes a much greater issue in the winter. 
when people are unwilling to walk that far away from the building because it's cold out. So they'll find a spot back in the boiler room or somewhere else to have a smoke. How do you treat that? How strictly do you follow the rules? And sometimes that interpretation comes down to if you're a smoker or if you're not. But then you've introduced a bias, right? So you have to be careful. In a food process facility of any kind, I can't think of any anymore who allow smoking on the premises. They basically don't even have a break room inside anymore where that's permittable. You, you still have an example? Okay. Well, on, on company property part, I understand, but literally within the confines of the building, almost all of those are gone. When I first started working in a fluid milk facility, the lunchroom was permittable. Well, there was no way to go and have lunch without going into an environment that you couldn't hardly see across the room because everybody who went there on lunch would like have a half a pack during their hour for lunch. It was crazy. But it was permittable at that point. And it wasn't a way you could get away from it because that was the only place for lunch. The rules have changed over time, but how are you going to approach that, I mean, is that the level of an infraction the same as fighting? No, that's why we call it a minor infraction. Challenges in interpreting the fuzzy spaces in the rules. This one should be the easy one, right? If you have clear expectations written out, if you have markers, as to what you're expecting of a person and they don't meet those markers and they consistently don't meet those markers, then you need to follow up and begin some level of discipline. You cannot, even if they're showing up on time, everything else is fine. If they still don't meet your, meet your basic work criteria, it's an infraction and a reason for discipline. This is a little interesting sometimes. You've got two employees and they really, really, really got mad at each other and they got in a fight, right? So what do you do with them? Separate them. You need them to punch out so they're no longer on the clock and you need them to leave. Now, if they're agitated to the point that they're already swinging at somebody, they may not be very likely to comply, right? You yourself should not be the person who's going to make them comply. 
you need to have a way, whether that's an in-house security group or the local sheriff's office or whomever it is on retainer, that they're going to come and help you gracefully and carefully remove that individual from the premises, right? Is that individual gone, gone at this point? No. You still have layers of protocol you have to follow, okay? But you need them out of the situation before you can proceed. Tell them that you will call them. And reiterate, we will call you. Are they fired? Maybe. At this point, you have to allow things to cool down a little bit and do some background sleuthing as to what caused the whole infraction to boil over. You have to spend a little time to step back. If you have had your documentation in place, as you should, you review the documentation in the personnel file, any of the interactions that have been going on. You talk to other supervisors, the layer of management above you, or even above that, and look at the case as a whole. You may be looking at several personnel files if there was multiple people involved. You've got to see what started, what was the background to that whole thing. Then get back in touch with the employee and discuss the outcome. That outcome can be discharged, which would be, quote, I'm, you're fired or suspended without pay, five days, a week, two weeks. Two weeks suspension without pay, but you can come back to your position later, might be enough cooling off period to resolve a lot of things. In some cases, you're gonna say, report back to work, come back tomorrow, you know. If that infraction was you showed up drunk one day, and it's only one day in the last 15 years that that's happened, the likelihood in the end is you're going to get to come back to work. But if this is your third infraction in the last six months, then they're probably going to get to the point where they're going to cut strings and let you go. But that's why you have to have that break time in between there from when the infraction occurred to make the decision. It can't be instantaneous because there's always some layers to what has to be investigated. The minor infractions, the people who aren't meeting the specific criteria that you set out for their position or that are showing up consistently tardy 
five, seven minutes late every day. You start out by reiterating what it is that you expect. Make sure that they actually understand the expectation. If they didn't know the expectation was that I really need to be here at five minutes to eight so that I can have the lights on and the cash drawer in so that I can open at eight o'clock, not walk in the door at eight o'clock and then go about starting the rest of those things. And there's customers there at eight to one and I'm not ready for them, right? That's two different things. If you're clear that the expectation is you need to be customer ready at 801 versus walking in the door at 801, it's going to change the way you deal with it. Clearly review the job. Call out the call out the poor performance in private. It doesn't ever do any good to call someone out in front of a group. The issue is between that individual and the way they're dealing with the company. It doesn't need to be all the rest of the employees in their work group. They can be left out of that. Things go much more smoothly if they are left out of that. The poor performance, the infraction is discussed in private, not in public. Especially if you are talking about an individual who's working in a union facility, that union contract will create huge headaches for you as a supervisor if you call somebody out in public. You have to have that conversation in private and it has to be documented. And in some cases there will be one other person there which is the union steward. But you don't do it in front of 15 other people or you violated a whole lot of other layers in the contract with the employee group beyond just embarrassing the employee. So make sure it's in private. Document, document, document. Every time you have a conversation, write it down, summarize it. Make sure the highlights are there. And then have a goal setting exercise. How can that employee improve? If your issue is they show up at 8.02 and they were supposed to open the door for customers at eight o'clock, clearly establish what they're supposed to do and then a time frame: how long will you give them to change their behavior pattern? Two weeks, a month, six weeks, most often what we call work improvement programs, which you basically are formalizing your agreement with this person, you're giving him a chance. They usually last a month to in now enable them to come up with behavior change. Maybe they're always late 
because the route they take to get to work has had a road construction all summer. Well, okay, yes, it had road construction. Is that a reason that my business can't operate on time? No. But if you give them a month, they ought to be able to figure out a different way to get there. How to leave 10 minutes early, take a different detour, whatever it is, and get there when you want them to. Can you expect them to do that tomorrow? Maybe not. But a month, you know, a week and a half, and then follow through with a pattern? Absolutely, you should be able to expect that. And then keep following up. If they start to improve, stay with them. Don't let them slide. Just because they got to your benchmark and they did it for a month, don't let them slide back into the habit that they were in and start showing up late or extending their break time. Hold them to the criteria. If nothing changes, then yes, it's costly to let someone go because then you have to go through the whole process of reestablishing position descriptions and the interview process and the hiring and the induction and the training. That costs a lot of money. It's worth spending a little bit of time to see if you can bend that person's behavior across three weeks or a month instead of assuming you have no one in that position for probably three weeks or a month until you find a new person to go in that spot. Right? You have to weigh those things along the way. If a company never fires anyone, they either have a superhuman selection process, they get it right absolutely every time, or they're putting up with an awful lot of crap. They're willing to accept sub-marginal performance. Your employment process, you want it to be good, but is it going to be finding the perfect employee who will do the job you want them to do for the next 20 years, 100% of the time? Probably not, right? So we have to figure out how are we gonna do the discipline? How are we gonna deal with it? So how do we motivate people? Anybody here want to become a motivational speaker? Nobody wants to be a motivational speaker. Maybe next week. Some of the rest of you, anybody want to be a motivational speaker? Okay. Well, in a way, all of you will become motivational speakers because some employees inherently motivate themselves. Some, with a little bit of prodding, get done what you're asking. Some take a lot more prodding. Right? What are those prompts? What are those prods to keep them moving forward to where you want them 
to be so that your business can be where you want it to be. How do you motivate? What's the correct or appropriate approach depending upon what's going on? Can you just yell at somebody and say, if you don't do this, you know? How many people take kindly to that? How many of you ever really liked getting yelled at? That's zero hands, right? No one likes to be yelled at. So why do supervisors think that by yelling at somebody, we're going to get them motivated to do what we want them to do? No. It basically does not work. There are a couple instances where it might. Like when the fire alarm is ringing and you yell at them to make sure they go out the correct fire door. That's a valid time to yell at people, get their attention and make sure they move. But other times, probably not. Hard nose does not work really, really well. Then there's the human relations style. Contented employee is a productive employee. Well, sometimes they might be too contented. If no one's pushing them a little bit, I think I'll sit here and just rest today. I've got done what they were expecting of me, but I won't push it because no one's pushing me. Right? Does that help your company grow? No. It might hold it sta stable, but if the only thing your company is ever doing is being stable, are you going to get passed by other people who are moving forward? Very likely. So it's not a bad approach. It's a better approach maybe than yelling at somebody, but is it the be all and end all? Maybe not. So basically what we're going to talk about on Friday is situational management. Tell, sell, consult. There are times when you tell your employees what you need them to do. There will be times when you have to sell them on the idea that you have. And there will be times when you will consult them for their ideas because you don't have one that will resolve the issue and maybe they have an expertise that will allow it. But yet still they are your employee and you're the supervisor. There's gonna be different ways to approach. Very few times when you give direct orders. You can give direct orders when you have no restraints on your power. Is this ever really true? Very, very, very rarely is that ever going to happen. In an emergency situation, absolutely, this is when it's appropriate. There's a fire on the line from the propane tank leading to the engine compartment on the fork truck. You need to make sure that you have control and you get everybody out of there to safety, 
and no one should stop and question you. Well, why should I go now? No, that should not be a situation where there should be questioning. There should be a time where there's authority and says, this is what we're gonna do. When an emergency will save the whole crew. Or if the supervisor possesses unique knowledge, the rest of the people do not possess. Should you ever be in that position? No, because if the communication channels have been open, everyone should know what's going on and why we're doing what we're doing. Would you have unique possession of knowledge at that point? No. So really, we should not have a situation unless we failed at communication, where we believe that we have a uniqueness in knowledge that says, we have to do it my way, and my way only, because it's the only way we're gonna be able to go forward. I've run out of time. We'll pick up on situational management on Friday. For lab, please review the job instruction handout before you show up. Oh, where is this thing?